Welcome to Chase the Vase podcast, where we share stories about those who have fought to overcome addiction. Join us every Tuesday and Thursday for the latest stories, tools, and tricks to sobriety. Now, here's your host, Brock Bevel. Welcome to Chase the Vase podcast. I'm uh, here with Norman Curtis. Curtis, Norman, thank you so much for coming on and being willing to share your story. Thanks, man. It's nice to be here. The reason I, I'm interested in having you is we kind of share a similar story and some of the, the nuances. And I love talking to, to professionals that have struggled with a little bit of addiction. I just want to throw out there that you are a pharmacist. You are a licensed pharmacist. You still are a pharmacist, but you went through it. Yeah. I definitely went through it. Yeah, if I could go back and maybe maybe pick a different profession, I might I might have been a lot easier on myself. But I'm in a good place now, so it's it's cool. Right on. I know we've we've chatted a little bit before, and you started off your addiction cycle, your addiction career, let's call it, in uh, with alcohol. Correct. That was kind of the gateway into everything else. Yeah, that's where it started. So, how long were you consuming alcohol? And you didn't drink like everybody else, right? No, I mean, I drank like some of the people I surrounded myself with. Yeah, I, I never really drank like a normal a normal drinker, I guess you could say. When when you say a normal drinker versus what Norman was drinking, what was the difference? <laughs> Probably like tenfold. Just the idea, I guess, of having one or two or even two or three is just, it never happened with me from the get-go. It would never, never happen. So I think there is some, some brain chemistry stuff that started very early on in my drinking where once I had one, I think my, my body and my, my brain knew that more was coming because that's, that's always what happened. So it's pretty predictable cycle. So what was, can you identify your spike, uh, your cycle now? Do you, do you know what it looks like? Like as in like triggers or? No, just like in your cycle, would you, would you go some time without drinking and then you would just black out drunk or how did it work for you? I mean, it started very gradually, I guess. I mean, I drank on weekends and stuff throughout high school and college and, you know, relatively normal drinking for that age and experience. But when things started to get out of control, it was after I was done, done with school and it was so gradual. It's, it's so slow. Like it, it started with drinking because I was emotional or was having problems or stressed out and it slowly got to the point where it was, you know, it was every day and it was pretty large quantities every day. So it, it took a couple I mean, it took years for it to get to that point. Are you, have you ever went backwards and like, is there a trigger point? Is there a starting point? Maybe, maybe it was a, a trauma that was caused, but do you know what kind of started your alcohol addiction? <laughs> Being born, my genetics is part of it. I think that's a big part of it. I think the way that I'm wired is conducive to addiction. So I think that plays a role in, in it. But uh, hold on, Norman. If you don't mind, man, I know that you're you're a heavy thinker, right? You're I mean you're a pharmacist, so that you've done some medical schooling. You talked about your wiring. Can you explain like when you talk about the brain being wired different, do you mind elaborating on that? Yeah, I can try. It's hard to it's hard to explain some of that stuff, but I don't know. There was a book that I was an audio book I was listening to by Judy's I can't remember her last name, but it was just about the science of addiction and just the the studies that they've done on on people just in general, like who's because they've been trying to figure out for years and years, like predict who's going to become addicts and how do we stop it before it starts and all this stuff. And it's not just like your physical environment where you're being brought up. It's it's who your parents were and it's who your parents' parents were and, and how they acted, how they behaved. And, you know, I see, I know I've talked to my mom about her drinking behaviors and there's a lot of similarities there. She quit drinking when she was like 
early early 30s i think so i would have been like three or four years old but and i can identify other people in my extended family who had similar issues some of them who are still experiencing those issues and cousin of mine who's no longer with us who lost his battle to addiction i guess you could say that's mostly what i'm getting at right on so you so alcoholism just runs in the family yeah so let's do this, man. I, I know that uh, there was a point in time where you started u- using other drugs, Adderall. Um, did you get anything else? No. So did it go from alcohol to Adderall? How did that transition happen? Well, my, my drinking started to get out of control in, like, in college, but I didn't actually take Adderall until I was probably four years out of pharmacy school. So I think that would, I'm 33 now. Sometimes it's even hard to remember how old I am anymore number keeps going up but i think i was probably 27 or 28 before i tried or had adderall or had it prescribed to me regularly so i struck i had struggled with with alcohol for a good decade before i ever got on the adderall so so how the how the adderall start then well i had tried it like twice in college when i was 18 19 years old and then i think i was 20 21 when uh I, I was put on Adipex by a doctor, which is kind of, it's similar to Adderall, but it's just not as, not as potent. But after I had been drinking too much and I, my life was kind of spiraling with the alcohol, I, I don't know, it's hard for me to identify because it was, uh, I knew I needed something to help me function with the way I was drinking. And I, I had tried so many times to stop drinking that nothing was working. So I saw a doctor about getting on, getting Adderall. Uh, I mean, I do have some symptoms of ADD. So I look back on it and I'm not, I'm not sure it was a combination of, I needed something to help me function. And I also felt like I had ADD symptoms that could be treated with, with Adderall. So that's kind of how I got started. Okay. So talk to me, how did it, how did it merge into your career? What's the, what's the backstory? Like the Adderall use yeah. and what, what went down with that? I was on it. I started on Adderall when I was like, I think it was in 2013 or something. By the time, uh, I, eventually I decided that my use of both Adderall and alcohol was kind of getting out of control. So I decided I was going to ask for help. And this is after multiple attempts to get sober by myself, which I think rarely works for anybody. But I, I decided I wanted to quit drinking. And so first I, I stopped drinking alcohol. And I kind of thought that maybe I could keep taking the Adderall, that if I wasn't drinking anymore, that maybe the Adderall wouldn't be a problem. At that point, I'd been a pharmacist for like five or six years. So I knew I shouldn't have been drinking and taking Adderall at the same time. What's but the effect? What does it do? For Let's just say a normal person drinks and takes Adderall. What happens? Well, you don't realize like how much you've drank because the effects that usually the alcohol has on you of slowing you down, your slurred speech, and you can't focus and, and that type of thing. The Adderall just does the opposite. It keeps you keeps you alert. I could drink a pretty absurd amount of, of alcohol if I took Adderall with it. Because an so Adderall is an upper, right? And your alcohol is a downer. Yeah, it's not a good combo. But uh, but you were doing it. And were you going to work on it uh, highly functional or what were you? I was highly functional. Yeah, it was, I guess I was very resilient and being able to keep up appearances um, until towards the end when it was not really possible. But yeah, I mean, I kept a full-time job. I got engaged and got married and um, my wife and I we got two kids and we started having kids, you know, like, like I said, it was a gradual process where things really spiraled, but How, what was that time frame? Eight, 10 years? I guess I was probably 21 when I knew I had issues with alcohol and I didn't get completely sober till I was 31. 
Okay. So 10 years. So how did you keep up the appearance at work and what, what was going on at work? That was just, uh, I mean, you're here, you are a trusted pharmacist, right? With an Adderall and an alcohol addiction, which probably isn't as uncommon as we think. No, it's not. But we hear it and it's kind of shocking. We're like, oh, whoa, this guy, you know, he was, we trusted him to give us our meds, but, but what was going on behind the scenes? I never felt like I was, uh, putting people at at risk. Like I was still doing my job. I still felt like I was a, a, a good pharmacist. And I think people that know addiction would understand that 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 is possible because it's not like when I was taking the Adderall towards the end, I took it just to feel normal. I wasn't taking it to feel to feel high. Like it wasn't making me incapable of, of working. It was allowing me to be able to work, you know? So it's, uh, I didn't feel like I was ever a danger to my patients or anything like that, but I don't know. That's, that's, uh, forgot where I was going with that, but. So tell me, tell me the scope of it. How, how much were you actually taking when your addiction was at like an all time high? Oh, probably I, I would say for the last like couple of weeks, maybe a month of using Adderall, it was 200, 300, maybe milligrams a day. And you weren't prescribed that much? No, I don't think nobody's prescribed that much. So how were you, how were you getting it? I was getting it from my pharmacy at that point. I, um, I had been getting it prescribed to me for like four years. And then what happened was I quit drinking and then I realized that I couldn't use Adderall like a normal person either. Like I was supposed to take two a day and I couldn't for the life of me ever do that consistently. So I figured out pretty soon after I quit drinking that I wasn't able to moderate my Adderall use either. So I figured I need to just quit taking this stuff. I need to find a way to just get completely sober, not just from alcohol, but from, from everything. So I struggled. I tried to quit a couple times and I was in going to meetings and doing things and talking about my alcohol use. And I uh, you know, finally got to the point where I wanted to stop the Adderall. And uh, what happened was my doctor retired who I was getting the Adderall from in the midst of me trying to find a way to stop taking the stuff. Bad timing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, in my mind, it was good timing. You know, at the time I thought now I don't have access. I don't have legal access to Adderall. And, and at the time I thought that, you know, yeah, I'm going to be working around the stuff, but there's, I'm not going to, I wouldn't start taking it from work illegally. Like that's, I figured if I wasn't getting it prescribed to me anymore, that that would be the end of it. I would, I knew I was going to have some withdrawal symptoms. I knew it was going to suck for at least a couple of weeks, probably. But to me, it was like, oh, thank God, my doctor's retiring. He told me to go find a new physician to take over my care. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to take this up anymore. So he gave me one last prescription and it was for like a 90 day supply. So there was 180 Adderall. I think it was their Adderall 30s. So I decided I wanted to, I was just going to start tapering off the dosage on that and go from two a day to one a day to half a day and then eventually get off of it completely. And how'd that work? <laughs> About as well as uh, you would think. Uh, an addict who doesn't have anybody holding him accountable, trying to taper his dose down by himself successfully. It's just- uh, It doesn't I, work. I that's going to happen. No. So how quick did you blow through those pills? Probably a month, maybe. So I still held it together, I guess, somewhat. But yeah, it was supposed to last three. So. So at the end of that month, then you realized you were out of pills. What happened? Like mentally, what happened? Mentally, I I was I was lost. I knew, like I remember the last day that I had any, and I took like four, four or five, 
and because that's the only way I could feel normal at the time. And you were out. You're like, hey, I'm take, I'm, I'm ready. Here we go. I got five left. I might as well use them all. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't stop myself. I, I, I knew that I would be better off if I just took like two that day, and then one the next day, one the next day, and one the next day. And it was gonna suck, but it would be better if I did that rather than taking them all that that day. But I can't. I couldn't do that just physically couldn't couldn't do that it, it's crazy to explain it because it's like i'm a pharmacist i know like how 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 this should be done safely if you're going to taper off of this safely but the, the pharmacist side of my brain isn't the most active during that part in time or during that time it's the addict part of the brain that takes over and there's a lot of us addicts out here looking at you saying i know exactly what he's talking about you know yeah. that like that that drive for that because I, I remember when I opened my cabinet, dumped all my pills, I panicked. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm out. Yeah. It freaked me out. And so I'm sure you kind of went through that mental chaos too. Like, now what? Yeah. Where'd you turn? What happened? I white knuckled it for a few days, maybe like a week or so. What were those withdrawal symptoms like? It was miserable. I had no energy to do anything. Like, I could go to work and make it through a work day barely and as soon as i was out i would be sleeping all like every second of the day so i still felt like i i was trying to hold it together for myself and my family and i at that point nobody knew that i was still taking adderall or that it was a problem so your wife didn't know your family didn't know your boss didn't know nobody like you hit it from everybody from everybody i mean my family my wife and my parents and siblings knew that i quit drinking cuz i was pretty proud of that i still am obviously it's just you don't know until you know i guess but yeah nobody knew that that was going on it was it was just i mean i think my wife knew something was going on but she didn't know exactly but i had told her like 3 months prior to that that i quit taking the Adderall so because your routines had changed now right you were going from I mean Adderall gives you energy it gives you I don't know that spark right it's like taking caffeine I mean I not really but uh now you're coming home you're lethargic you're tired you're probably spending more time in the bathroom you're sick right you don't want to play with the kids you don't want to go out because you're just sick I don't want to help around the house I don't want to do anything all right my, my, my wife is wants nothing to do with me. She's not happy with me at all. We really weren't doing very well. And I, I understand why, you know, I'm just being dishonest. I wasn't helping around the house with the kids at the time we had a, I think a two-year-old and nine month old. So it was pretty chaotic time. And, you know, I was trying my best, but at that point I was so lost and I hadn't, hadn't learned the skill of asking for help well enough to, to get that. So, so, so we're about to jump into what happened at work, but I want to ask a question that probably a lot of us are asking, man, like how much pressure, how much, um, you know, we say we're only as sick as our secrets, right? And and you're carrying this secret. You and I, this is where our uh, story is similar. Like nobody Mm -hmm. knew in my life. I didn't tell anybody. I mean, I grew up in the church and I, I was strong and I didn't want people to know. My kids didn't know. I mean, just like your wife, my wife knew something was going on but I was masking it at the doctor. And, but the secret that I was carrying and that you were carrying, how heavy was that for you? Oh, it was very, very heavy. I mean, I look back on it now, there was like probably 90 days or so of days where I knew that I was, I could get caught taking the Adderall from the pharmacy. So I didn't, you know, I'd wake up in the morning and think, you know, is today the day I'm going to get arrested? Is today the day I'm going to lose my job? 
like how am I going to provide for my family when when I don't have a job and who knows if I'm ever going to be able to get another job because I knew that I was going to get caught. It was just a matter of time. So, so you're car- was- you're carrying the secret of of hiding addiction. You're carrying this secret from your wife that hey, I may I may end up going to jail over this. Yeah. Right. So man, was it just that was heavy, man? That was heavy. And I How gotta long- hide it from I gotta hide it from everybody at work that I'm you know fudging numbers and records at, at the pharmacy to make it look like everything's kosher when it it wasn't. So there's you know another pharmacist that worked there regularly that would do counts on our narcotics and stuff too. And you know I had to do a lot of shady stuff to to get what I felt like I needed. So I, I look back at that time of hiding, you know, hiding all that stuff and going through that is like, you know, people talk about trauma doesn't necessarily have to be like a, a one certain event or one big thing that happened. I feel like that was almost a, a pretty major trauma for me just dragged out over the course of a few months. The manipulation, the lying, the deceitfulness that that we're talking about. Yeah. Just yeah. feeling feeling like, you know, any day something, the hammer is going to drop. I don't know. I don't know when, but I know that it's going to happen because once I started taking the, the Adderall from the pharmacy, I knew very first tablet I took, I knew that it was going to progress to the point where it was going to get out of control and I wasn't going to be able to be careful anymore. I wasn't going to be able to cover my tracks. It's, it's easy to cover one or two tablets here and there. But when it gets to the point where you're taking like 20 tabs, 30 tablets a day, you can't hide that. Eventually that's going to be very noticeable. People are hearing this, right? They're going to listen to this podcast and be like, this dude's a pharmacist, right? And you you knew you were going to get caught, but couldn't stop, right? That's the chaos. And that's what I want to get across. That is the chaos and the, the relentlessness of these drugs, right? Yeah. And and the way it makes your body feel like without it, you would rather commit a crime to make your body stop aching, right? Yeah. And to feel better than, than to keep things together. So I just want everybody to hear that. Like you're speaking my language and yeah. there's a lot of us have gone through this. I mean, I knew in the, in the moment, like I went to, went through seven years of college to get my farm D um, get a doctorate in pharmacy. And I struggled through a lot of that because I was abusing alcohol through a lot of it, or at least I had really unhealthy drinking habits at the time and, and wasn't taking care of my body. So mm. you don't take care of your body and your, your mental health, physical health it makes everything more difficult in your life. So getting through school was, was a bitch. And then, you know, I go through all of that. I go through that struggle and I get to the point where I am a licensed pharmacist, where I've wanted to be at for years and years and years. And making good money. Making good money. Yeah. Had just started a new job and it was probably the best job that I had had up to that point. I knew I was going to just give it all away. I could have potentially just gave it all away, and but it didn't matter. In the moment when it's either grab the pills that you need right now, today, in this moment, or don't, it's all that other stuff doesn't, it doesn't matter. Norman, you were conflicted, man. I could just see you standing there being, oh my gosh, you know, you can't, shouldn't do it, but you're doing it anyways. Yeah. And then it gets to the point where it's like, (laughs) instead of telling myself, I'm not going to do that tomorrow, you give up. And I had the same feeling with alcohol for a while. It was like, I try to quit, try to quit, tell myself, I'm not going to go to the store tomorrow. I'm not going to go to the store tomorrow. And after you say that to your yourself with all of your your heart and soul really meaning it like I'm not going to go do that anymore I don't want to keep living this way and then you go do it and that happens a dozen times a few dozen times in a row it's like I'm not even going to tell myself that I'm not going to do this tomorrow because I know that I am if I say I'm not going to then I'm going to go do it again and I'm not even going to waste my time and energy saying that I'm not going to just give up 
Did you ever get to a point where like after a month or two, you're like, maybe I'm, maybe I'm good at this and maybe I got some skills and they're never going to catch me and I can keep this up. You just, you just knew it was happening. I I knew that I was going to get caught. I knew. All right. So, so what happened? Only because the only reason I say that is because I had known enough about addiction, not just from pharmacy school, but more so from like meetings and talking to people and AA meetings and online meetings and, and things like I know the progression of it because no matter if you have other addicts, recovering addicts understand that even if you have an entire pharmacy at your disposal, it's still not enough. Oh, man. It's still not enough. There will never be enough. So, And you said you were taking like 20 pills a day? Towards the last couple of weeks, yeah. It got to the point where I could, it almost didn't matter. Like I, I could still not feel what I felt like was normal, no matter how much I took. So I think I just ran my body into the ground. I wasn't taking care of my body at all. I wasn't eating right. I wasn't exercising. I was just, I would just take more Adderall. And I was obviously stressed to the max all the time, worrying about, you know, when am I going to get arrested? Is my, somebody going to find out like what's going to happen when I do get arrested? All this stuff is going on. And, you know, you just take more Adderall to, to try to mask all of those thoughts and feelings. It was a pretty, it was pretty, not a fun time. It was, but, it was heavy. It was heavy. Yeah. So what happened? Tell, tell us, tell us what the, what the blow up, what it looked like. So I'll try to be quick. My, after that, my doctor retired. So I went like a week of going through withdrawals and then I decided I can't do this. Like I need to, need to go get a new doctor and get this prescribed to me again, because I cannot function without it. Like I thought that I could, I thought that I could, could get off of it just cold Turkey that way. And I knew it was going to suck for a while, but it was even a lot worse than I thought it was going to be. So I, I knew I couldn't do it. So I went to see a new doctor and asked him to prescribe me Adderall. And uh, long story short, he didn't want to prescribe it to me because I had told him that I felt like I had dependence issues and it was a, a problem for me. And uh, he wanted to put me on an antidepressant. So he did that instead and said, come back in a week. So I came back the following week and told him again, like, hey, I can't function. I can't function without Adderall. Like I, I don't want to be on it forever, but I need you to prescribe it to me so I can at least feel normal. And then you can help me maybe in a healthy way and be, hold me accountable and get me off of it safely. But he didn't like my idea that then either. So he said, why don't you continue the antidepressant for another week and then we'll see where you're at because it, this stuff, the antidepressant takes a few weeks to start working. That's what he told me. So by that point, I decided to start taking it from the pharmacy. I think it was the next day or two days later. I was like, if he's not going to give it to me, I'm gonna get it. I don't have any other way. And I just didn't have the, I knew that I could have scheduled another doctor's appointment with some, a different doctor. I could have, could have found somebody that would have prescribed it to me. I know how, you know, there's always a doctor somewhere that'll give you what you want. That's just in every city and every town and throughout the whole country. But I just didn't have the energy to even make the phone calls anymore. I didn't have the energy to do much of anything. It was just, I need a solution. And that was the solution. Was the, and I started with taking a couple and starting to you know, modify our inventory counts and our logbook and on the computer. And you know what started with a couple, which was in like March, I think, turned into by July, I was taking full stock bottles, like 100 count bottles at a time. And that 100 count bottle would last probably three or four days. So man, it it went off the rails real fast. But I think that, you know, most anybody, if they, you're not paying, if you're not paying for your drugs, they're free and you have basically unlimited access to them. You're in your tolerance is a bitch that goes up pretty quickly when you have, when they're, you got free access, literally like, I, I think most everybody with an addiction problem that would have 
in that position would have probably spiraled out of control pretty fast too. So you never, did you almost overdose? No. I mean, no. I look back on it and I mean, I thank God that I wasn't addicted to opiates. I never really tried opiates because if Adderall were similar in, in, in a way that, yeah. you know, it, it causes, if it caused respiratory depression, when you take too much, I'd be dead. I know I would be. And that's a lot. That's a lot of people. So did the, so how'd the police get involved? One of the other pharmacy employees caught on to something uh, fishy was going on. So then they started digging into the record books and it probably took them a little while to figure out exactly what was going on because I, I did hide it pretty well for quite a while, but eventually they could, they could see what I was doing. You know, I, I would put in our log book, you'd write down, like if somebody brought in a prescription for Adderall, you would write down in the book, like their name, the a prescription number, how, what, what the quantity was of how many um, the, the prescription was for. And then you would update the count. Well, I was just putting in fictitious numbers and, and names and, and modifying the counts in the computer. So everything looked like it was accurate until if you started to dig into it and be like, okay, like what what's actually happening here? Because we went from using... Like uh, for the the highest strength of Adderall, thirty milligram tablets. We went from from dispensing like maybe one prescription of that a month to like because we we're still doing one legitimate one, and then the other ones were were Yours. all me. Yeah, I got out of control real quick. So police, the police uh, come in, or what happened? I came into work. It was a Monday. I saw in the logbook that they had check marked by all of the prescription numbers that were legitimate and there was no check marks by the ones that I had put in there that were fraudulent. Made. Yeah. Yeah. So at that point I knew that morning that shit was about to hit the fan and I didn't know how it was going to go down and I didn't really know what to do. I thought for like a split second of just like up and leaving, but I knew I, I couldn't do that because the place would have to shut down and people I'd be affecting hundreds of people not being able to get their medications. And that's not something that I would, would do. So I was like, all right, I guess. Uh, so throughout the day, I was starting to pack up my stuff and I a trip here and there out to my truck to just to load up some of my personal belongings because I knew that I was going to, if they didn't come in and arrest me, I was going to quit my job. And I didn't know what was going to happen after that. But so I had all most all of my stuff packed in my truck. I closed the pharmacy at seven o'clock and I had one last box of stuff in my hands getting ready to walk out the door when uh, there's like seven police officers that came in the back door of the pharmacy and said, hey, how's it going? It's like uh, I played stupid for about five or 10 minutes and then pretty much confessed to everything because I, I knew that it was, I knew I was cooked and I knew it was very obvious who was doing the stealing. So yeah, that was interesting. So they take you down to the station, interview you, did the DEA get involved or was it just local law enforcement? Yeah. DEA gets involved because the pharmacy legally has to re report any, anything like that happening to the DEA. So it went through the federal court system and when they arrested me, it was kind of strange because the, you know, I, I came out and told them like, Hey, I've got a problem. Like I quit drinking last year. I've been trying to get off this Adderall for so long and I just can't do it. And, you know, I apologized to, I apologized to my supervisor who was there, the other pharmacist and the HR guy. And like, they knew that I felt horrible about it. Like they, they knew that it was just somebody who had an addiction problem. It wasn't like I was running some sort of criminal enterprise or it was just me harming myself essentially. And I never took any pills from anybody else's bottles or anything like that. I just took it from the pharmacy's inventory. But uh, yeah, they, uh, the police station was actually right across the street from the pharmacy. So by the time they were getting ready to take me over there, they knew that I wasn't like a threat or anything. So 
he's like, uh, so we need to go over to the station. It's right across the street, as you know. Like he's like, do you want to do you want to ride over there, or do you want to just walk over there? Like I'll just walk over there, I guess. So they never put cuffs on me or anything. I just walked across the street, went into the station, and then I wrote a statement. They gave me a paper, paper and a pen just to write a statement on what happened. And I wrote out exactly what happened and how things came to be and how troubled I was yeah. and how, how sorry I was for what happened. And they didn't lock me up. The guy said, uh, no, we're going to let you go tonight. And then once we wrap up our investigation, which might take two weeks, it might take eight weeks, I'll give you a call and you can come in and turn yourself in and we'll, we'll go from there. So I left and well, I first, I'm like, Jesus, man, like, what do, what do I do now? I didn't know. Um, police officers like, yeah, you should probably go to rehab. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. I should probably do that. But I, I, I went home and laid down in bed next to my wife and went to sleep. I didn't, I, I didn't have the energy to tell her what happened. I, I waited until the next morning. How'd she handle it? Uh, I think she was just in shock. She didn't get like loud or aggressive or anything. She was just, just really sad. So what'd you do? You went to rehab? Yeah. So the next day I went to rehab. Uh, there was a place, um, it was only like a half hour north of my hometown. And I, I had known about it for years. I was uh, working at the hospital, like probably five years, four or five years uh, prior. And there were people that would come in from this rehab and it said in their notes, like the place that they were coming from. So I was like, oh, let me, so I, I Googled it and figured out like where it was at and what kind of rehab it was and what they did and what their philosophies were. And at that point, I already knew there was probably a pretty good likelihood that I was going to end up in rehab. I just didn't know for sure. And I didn't know when. So by the time when I needed to go to rehab, I already knew where to go. Nice. Which was kind of, kind of, that was a very good thing. It's like I had already looked up reviews on this place because I knew that I was going to end up going to rehab eventually. I don't know. It was kind of, kind of crazy, but the place I went to was awesome. It was called uh, Behavioral Rehabilitation Services, but I was there for 57 days and it was awesome. It was one of the best experiences of my life. What made it, what made it awesome? The people there, I think, for the first time in a long time in my life, I was able to make connections with people, share my story and, and help other people out. And some of the staff there were instrumental in me getting back on my feet, getting where I'm at today. So there was a lot of, a lot of good things that happened there. So you go to rehab, you get out. What, what, what ended up happening with your charges? So they put me in a pretrial diversion program. So I don't know exactly how they decide who, who could possibly have their charges, uh, I guess not stick, but dropped. Dropped, yeah. Like the diversion program is a year long. If I stay in that for a year and I do community service and I do pay restitution and I do drug testing, a couple other things, like then I won't officially be charged with anything. But as soon as any of those things don't go right, you're all the charges that they had ready to go at me were going to come at me, and that wouldn't have wouldn't have been a good thing. But actually, that program just very very recently ended for me. I successfully completed everything. Nice. But uh, so, yeah. what's your what's your team like now, man? What's your what's your your people? How are you staying sober? I've made a lot of changes in my life. So different now than I was a couple of years ago. That it's it's unreal. Like I still can't even believe it sometimes. But the first thing I started doing was just being more honest about my recovery and and where I'm at. And you know, after a while, after you've 
stays over for a while and you start making positive changes and you know that you're a better person than you used to be. You just don't feel that shame and guilt anymore. I, don't, I didn't feel like I needed to hide it anymore. And you start uh, getting kind of addicted to that, that positive, right? Yeah. yeah. That's cool. sobriety. That's what we get addicted to it. Yeah. And things just come back so slowly. It's just such a gradual process that some days you don't feel like you're making progress, but you keep trying to trying to do you know the right things every day. And some some days you don't notice it. And then, you know, then one day you'll I'll turn around and be like, Holy shit, like that made a lot of progress. Like those couple of things that I wanted to change that I talked about last month, like I did that. Like those are those are things that those things are done. So let me let me let me wrap let, let me just so so for the people out there, so you being a pharmacist. You carried on a dual addiction. You carried on a life of deceitfulness with your wife, right? Yeah. You were you were overutilizing the medication at work, stealing it. You get caught up, and then all of a sudden, man, like once you stopped, things start coming back. Yeah. Right. And I and I feel like that's the fear with so many of us is like that pain. And I'm sure in your mind, the fear of stopping, the fear of that withdrawal was scary, oh, yeah. right? But your wife stayed with you. You're still a licensed pharmacist, yeah. right? I mean, even even getting charged with it, I mean, in a grand scale, and, and you went a year on a diversion program and did well. You're remaining sober, right? Yeah. So so I, I look at you, man, and this is your second time that you shared this on a podcast, correct? Yeah. yeah. You need to keep sharing your story, brother. I'm just telling you because we're looking at this and, and they feel like they're at rock bottom and their life's never going to come back. So why not just continue using drugs and alcohol? Yeah, that's not a good, that's not a good outlook. No. So today, what is different about your life than it was in active addiction? Well, I got, I started taking care of my body. I wake, I go, I mean, just simple things to start with. I go to bed at the same time every night. I wake up at the same time every day. I wake up at four o'clock. I wake up at 4 a.m. I go work out at five, go home. And when I'm done at six and, you know, some days I'll get my kids ready for school or take them to school or hang out at home with them. Or now at this point, I've got two different jobs as a pharmacist. I work in a retail pharmacy and I work in a hospital pharmacy. So wait, they, they trust you to go back into a pharmacy? Yeah. That's yeah. awesome, right? I mean, I'm still in, uh, there's a program in Michigan called the Healthcare Professionals Recovery Program. So I'm part of that, which is uh, like a state-run thing where they, they keep track of you, basically. Like, I have to fill out quarterly reports with my employer. And any, I mean, my employers both know what happened. But I brought, I brought a totally different person to the, to the interviews than was the person who was diverting drugs from the pharmacy. Absolutely. And they, they could see that, that that's not who, who I was and I could portray that to them. And I think it, it took the right person who has an understanding of addiction to actually give me a chance and hire me. But both of those people that hired me are very grateful that they hired me because I, I'm doing a very good job for both of them. But uh, I've got two jobs now. I've, I've started doing CrossFit every day, pretty much done CrossFit every morning at 5 a.m. every weekday. and Most Saturdays since uh, August, started eating better. Dropped 60 pounds. Dropped 60 pounds. Yeah, put on like 15 pounds of muscle over the last six months. Your wife's uh, loving this new guy. Yeah, got right? a lot more energy. I have just the other day, I remember working and, and thinking like, this is how I used to feel when I had a lot of Adderall. Like I had energy the other day. This was just like last week. I had energy that day that I, I don't know if I've ever experienced since I was using Adderall. And 
that's where, you know, we talk about gradual improvements. Now I've gotten back to the point where I feel really, really good some days and I don't need anything to make me feel that way. It's just the, the decisions that I make on a daily basis that make me a healthier, happier person have gotten me to that point. And I was so far from that a couple of years ago that it's insane. Let me wrap it up with this. Let me ask you about your wife. How is she handling the new you? She's much happier. Does she, does she notice like, uh, is she ever triggered by things that you still do? I don't, if she is, she doesn't, you know, verbalize it, but yeah. I don't think so. I mean, I think by this point, she's pretty confident in my recovery. And I think me doing stuff like this, like talking on a podcast about what I went through and where I'm at today and how different it is. I think that gives her more confidence in me and, and where I'm at. And I share more with her about where things used to be. And she, I think the more confident I am in myself, the more confident she is in me and my abilities to stay sober. So love that, man. Give her kudos for us, man. And and congratulations on your, on your quest, man, to stay sober. I recommend you keep doing these podcasts. Your story is awesome. There's a lot of strength and hope that you give to people that are going to be able to hear this, that the redemption is what I like, man. Like you, you were, you were in it. You went through it, man. And I look at you now and I, I'm excited what I see. And I, I appreciate your story. So thank you for chasing the base. And I appreciate you coming on the Chase the Base podcast. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks, brother. You've been listening to Chase the Vase podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or Apple Podcasts to get new, fresh weekly episodes. For more information, please follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Or visit our website, chasethevase.com. Until next time, keep chasing the vase.